Hail and welcome to A Satanist Reads the Bible, exploring the Bible, Christianity, and other religions and their sacred texts through the lens of Satanism in order to reinvent religion for myself. Today I'm reading Satan the Accuser, the third essay I published. This is one of my early works where I think I had some great ideas, and this essay still represents my overall thought with regards to Satanism, but where I might not have explained myself in the clearest of terms, which makes these podcasts a great opportunity for me to revitalize some content that might have been missed by those who caught onto the blog after it started to take off, and also an opportunity to clarify what it is that I was saying. So we'll get to that in just a few minutes. If you enjoy my work, please like and subscribe and tell your friends, stop by satanistreadsthebible.com and leave comments on my essays, and I hope you'll visit my Patreon page as well, which you can get to from my blog and consider signing up. I've got some great benefits for my patrons, including bonus content. You can also support my work by clicking through the book links in the essays on, my, on the blog and buying some books. And I also encourage you to sign up for my mailing list so that you can keep current on everything that I'm doing. So, first up, Album of the Week. My album recommendation for this episode comes to us courtesy of Tomb Mold, a Canadian death metal band whose latest album, Planetary Clairvoyance, was released last month on the excellent 20 Bucks Spin label. This is their third full-length album, and while they've always been an excellent death metal band, influenced in particular by the early Finnish death metal bands, this album sees them really clarifying and codifying their particular take. This one starts to get more into off-kilter demolich territory, but it also lays out some relentless stomp. As far as pure death metal goes, this is my favorite of the year so far. It's up on Bandcamp and the streaming services, so check it out. Highly recommended. On to the Book of the Week. This is the one I keep returning to whenever I want to delve into Islam, reading the Quran by Ziauddin Sardar. And as I've just completed some more research and writing on that very topic, this was the book that first came to mind. Sardar is at least as angry as I am, and probably a great deal more so, about what his religion has become in the modern world. He makes a strong case that modern Islam, in general, has departed sharply from the message of the Quran, and is even directly opposed to it in many cases. But mostly what comes through in Sardar's reading of his sacred text is a bountiful joyfulness. His analytical approach is excellent as well. He does a line-by-line -line of one of the chapters, and then analyzes particular topics, especially those of particular contemporary relevance, from the whole of the text. I don't agree with everything he says, but I accept his thesis that a more liberal Islam is the one most in keeping with what is said in the text. And on to this week's essay, Satan the Accuser. The accuser is the first and the highest instrument of the dialectic of God, that which points to and identifies the not-self which abjection reveals in its subject, that which asserts itself against it, as only in this way can God come to know themselves. The accuser is the first paradox, the first division from God, the first duality, the first that was not God, that which reveals that duality itself is abject as the accuser is abject. The accuser is the first light, the first revealing that which dawned upon the first day. Much of satanic symbolism is oriented around an archetype of Satan that I refer to as Satan the Adversary. This is Satan as the rebel angel, whose rebellion against God and subsequent fall from heaven is described in Milton's epic poem Paradise Lost. As compelling and as inspiring as I find this archetype to be, my own philosophy is predicated upon another, Satan the Accuser. The modern conception of Satan as the nemesis of God, the fallen angel punished by God for rebelling against him and tempting humans to sin, is exactly that, modern. 
Such beliefs do not originate wholly in the Bible, nor were they held by the early Christians. I have wondered whether the promotion of Satan to his present role as the powerful nemesis of God himself was in fact part of the transition into the modern era, a reaction to the emerging philosophies based on the new science of Copernicus, Kepler, Galileo, Bruno, and Newton. An enemy invented in order to maintain the flagging power of the church in the face of discoveries that contradicted their teachings. The Hebrew word transliterated as Satan is not a name at all but rather a noun meaning adversary, potentially referring to anyone to whom that word could be ascribed. It first appears in the Bible in Numbers, chapter 10, verse 9. When you go to war in your land against the adversary who oppresses you, you shall sound an alarm with trumpets, so that you may be remembered before the Lord your God and be saved from your enemies. That's from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. It appears again in Numbers, chapter 22, verse 22, this time referring to an angel in the service of God. God's anger was kindled because he was going, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the road as his adversary. Nowhere in the Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, is a specific entity named Satan described, nor is there any entity of any name in the entire Hebrew Bible that matches the modern conception. The serpent in the book of Genesis, who tempted Eve to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, was only identified as Satan in retrospect, and that in contradiction to what follows. In the Ketuvim, the writings of the Hebrew Bible, Satan appears named for the first time as a specific definite entity. Quoting here, One day the heavenly beings came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan, literally the accuser, also came among them. That's uh, the book of Job, chapter 1, verse 6. Here, the name is translated from the Hebrew ha-satan, and the New Revised Standard Version also gives the alternate translation, the accuser. It is apparent that Satan, at this point in Jewish history, is believed to be an angel or otherwise divine being, a servant of God with God-ordained purpose, rather than the rebel angel who was cast from heaven and who then tempted Eve to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. While Satan the adversary serves as an inspiring figure in my theory of satanic mysticism, I find this symbol, Satan the Accuser, to be particularly compelling for my purposes. The two archetypes, Satan the Adversary and Satan the Accuser, are not wholly separate in the text. Quoting here, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, but they were defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven proclaiming, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah, for the accuser of our comrades has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Revelation chapter 12 verses 7 through 11. While this is often interpreted as being a description of an event which occurred prior to or concurrent with the creation, as it must have been for Satan to then tempt Eve in the garden, one must keep in mind that John's revelation was a prophecy of future events, as is described in the introduction. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. John has prophesied that Satan the accuser will overreach in his duties and will then be cast down. But this is, as of the time of the writing, an event yet to come, 
The interpretation which served as the inspiration for Paradise Lost was another retcon. In the context of satanic mysticism, God and Satan the Accuser are, respectively, being for itself and the constitutive other. Satan the Accuser is the sublation of God, that which both negates and preserves, as in Hegel, quoting here my own translation from the Phenomenology of Spirit. Actually, I'm going to interrupt myself here. What follows is a long quote from Hegel that is, I think, pretty much impossible to parse unless maybe you've got it in front of you and can read it a few times over. A part of this is Hegel's fault, and a part of this is my fault. As to Hegel, he was talking about complex ideas in a complex system of thought, and it's difficult to talk about such things in clear language, so his writing is just difficult to understand in general. As for me, I figured, hey, I learned German last year, I'll just do my own translation, and ended up spending more time on that than, I think, on writing the entire rest of the essay. Comparing it to other translations, I think I did pretty well, but not so well that anything was gained from it over using a more popular translation like Miller's. And as well, I think a little bit might have been lost. So I hope you'll just bear with me through the next, oh, minute and a half, because after that I actually explain what it is that Hegel was talking about. Self-awareness exists both in and for itself, in that it exists for another and for itself by which I mean to say that it exists only as a recognition. The concept of this, of its unity within its doubling, of that in which self-awareness realizes infinity, is that of a multifaceted entanglement, such that the moments therein must, in part, be held separate and in part must be held together as undistinguished, or always taken and understood in their contrary meaning. The double meaning of this distinguishing lies in the essence of self-awareness, infinitely and immediately the opposite of the certainty in which it is set. The deconstruction of the concept of this spiritual oneness in its doubling represents to us the process of recognition. It is, for self-awareness, another self-awareness. It has come from outside itself. This has the double meaning, first, that it has lost itself, for it finds itself as another essence, and second, that it has thereby sublated the other, for it does not see the other as essence, but rather itself in the other. It must sublate its otherness. This is the sublation of the first double meaning, and is therefore itself a second double meaning. First, it must move to sublate the other independent essence, so as to become certain of itself as the essence. And second, it thereby moves so as to sublate itself, for this other is itself. What this means, for Hegel, necessary and revealing though his approach is, could not have been less clear about it, is that self-awareness exists only in the context of other, in the context of what we can recognize as not-self, refuting the reductionist and naive cogito ergo sum. This is not specific to humanity, but rather a necessary truth for all self-awareness, and thereby must be true as well of God, in whose image we are created. As above, so below. I am certainly not the first to explore the sacred texts of the Abrahamic tradition in this light. I'll conclude with William Blake, who has provided no shortage of inspiration for my own work, quoting here from The Marriage of Heaven and Hell, verses 2 to 3. Without contraries, there is no progression. Attraction and repulsion, reason and energy, love and hate, are necessary to human existence. From these contraries spring what the religious call good and evil. Good is the passive that obeys reason. Evil is the active springing from energy.
I've drawn my ideas about Satan primarily from a particular reading of Hegel and his notion of the dialectic. Dialectics in general is an approach to philosophy that originated in Plato and deals with a process involving contradictions. Hegel describes his particular approach in his Encyclopedia of the Philosophical Sciences from 1817. We start with an idea of something that seems to be fixed and stable, but then when we start to pry it apart we find contradictions, and rather than causing one to reject the original idea, Hegel sees it as a process that moves ideas forward through history. The contradictory ideas sublate the original idea, and the verb to sublate is the translation of the German verb aufheben, which Hegel describes as meaning both negation and preservation. And out of that sublation arises a new idea which unifies the contradictory concepts. So that's Hegel's dialectical method in shamefully oversimplified terms. Hegel's philosophical system is enormously complex, and I'm not doing it any justice. But I think it's enough of a foundation to get where Hegel goes with this idea that eventually this process is going to reach something called the absolute. And the absolute is identical with the self-awareness of the cosmos as God. At least, that's the traditional interpretation of Hegel. There's been some back and forth, especially in the last few decades, as to whether or not that was actually Hegel's view. But the view that I've presented is the one that I'm coming from. Now, another of Hegel's ideas was this notion that we can only really know ourselves through others. I was reading Hegel's Phenomenology of Spirit at about the same time I had started reading the Bible, and when I was looking at the first creation narrative in Genesis, I thought about it in Hegelian terms, and I came up with this mainly poetic idea. Um, I'm not trying to frame this as a literal account of creation. Um, a poetic idea of God existing before creation, completely alone and unable to know themselves, because nothing existed that wasn't God. So God has to fracture and fragment for there to be any differentiation by which God can know themselves, and that first fracture is the fundamental split between God and not God, and that not God is the contradiction of God, or in other words, Satan. And from there, when I started reading about the notion of Satan as he was understood by the ancient Hebrews, the authors of the Old Testament, as I wrote about, that lined up very neatly with this idea, and as the God of the Old Testament is a very problematic figure, something I explore in essays following this one, the contradiction of that, the archetype of Satan the Accuser, becomes a figure more worthy of veneration. So I hope that clarified what I was saying in that essay. Fairly early on, and I still think about the writing that I do as the process by which I figure out these ideas. So when I write about them, they're not always in a form that I myself understand well enough to be able to present them in a really clear, unambiguous way. But I want this whole project to be in part about the process of the process of coming to an understanding rather than something that, oh, I've got this all figured out let me now tell you about what I have figured out. That, I'm, I don't think that that's a point I'm ever going to get to where I have it all figured out. So, but now that I've got a little bit more distance between now and the time that I wrote this essay, it is a little more clear for me. Still not entirely clear, but always getting a little better. And as I mentioned, I think that this has been a good opportunity for me to try to clarify things uh, in the podcast itself, I can talk a little bit about 
what I was thinking, what I meant at the time, where I, where these ideas come from. And I hope if that the essays themselves are not entirely clear that I can at least clarify them a little bit here. So up next, I'm still reading Foucault and trying to get my ideas down about what I'm calling pathological altruism, and that's still not coming together. And in any case, I'd like to stick closer to my bread and butter for a while and do some Bible reading. I've got a few ideas for what to cover, but nothing solid yet, but whatever it is will be available along with two new podcast episodes on Friday, August 23rd. And this one will be going up on the 16th with whatever I do this week. I haven't written that yet either, but that won't be up next. That will be out at the same time. Last thing before I sign off is poetry. I've decided to include some of my poetry in the show, and that'll be the closing segment. We keep our ears to the coming of the storm, that all might attend as the thunder passes overhead, numbed even as we are to the thousand passing deaths. I don't know even one of their names, and I must wonder whether any of them came under the shadow's thrall. We have these long years kept our ears to the coming of the storm. I remembered myself only as a fire in your hearth my hope and faith invested in the remnant coals whose embers and ashes fall like snow over the world. I am enthralled to the beauty of the starlit night, so spoken of as the canvas of human thought, that what visions might have arisen amongst them might become our gods. I am a witness to the torment of the unyielding. I am the sacrifice that was made to the sacrifice. I was the last of the gods to fall to earth and call out to the name of the shadow. I am abject. I am unholy. Whose name do you give me? All right. Thank you so much for joining me today and for being part of my audience. Ave Satanas. Thanks.